thank you for those of you that have been with us throughout this time and have joined us at different parts or are joining us for the first time tonight. This is the third and final installment of our series on what digital faith is. And as we go forward tonight, one of the things that we learned from last week was that there was such a robust conversation around internet security and the topics of safety online that we wanted to continue some of those topics tonight because we really didn't even finish what we were talking about last week and it ties well into our intended talk tonight which was around basic troubleshooting with your devices and how your computers and your smartphones may give you trouble at times and how we can best overcome some of those issues on our own first before we go pay for somebody like the Geek Squad to come out and fix it for us. <laughs> so in, in, in a quick recap tonight, last week we ended the conversation talking about media literacy and what the concept of fake news was. And I continue to come back to this concept of what is fake news because we first heard the term coined in the in that 2016 presidential election and it became a topic that really captured the imagination of America in realizing that we've had social media and technology that we can share information for 20 plus years at that time, but the information that we were receiving or gathering wasn't necessarily always intended to be accurate or unbiased. A lot of the times information is presented to look biased, to look unbiased and to look accurate, but it may not be. Don, oh, please use the microphone too. Yes. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to uh, comment. Uh, yellow journalism has been a staple in this country since its inception. Yes. People spouting what they said was the news. And so fake news is more common than real news. Real news came about in a little window, and it was, a, it was, it was a breath of fresh air, but to put it all in perspective, if a yellow yeah. journalism is a part of this country. I appreciate that perspective because you are drawing me back to remembering the National Enquirer at the checkout stand at the grocery store, <laughs> which used to be a staple next to the gum, and now you don't see it as much because we get it everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, and the sensational stories that would make you wonder, is this real or not? And a discerning mind over what we're intaking for information was something that we prided ourselves in as people in this country. And I think we still do pride ourselves in that. But yellow journalism, fake news has become smarter, more pervasive in ways that it can approach us and look real and feel real. And some of the institutions that we have come to trust over the past few generations have become a little less honest and a little less biased and offer a little more opinion made to look like a journalistic report. When it used to be very clear when we knew we were reading the op-ed section of the paper versus the front page where the journalism reports were being done. Now it's kind of mixed together. So I wanted to bring us back to the, the idea of understanding fake news. And once again, I want to encourage you, please share your opinions. Please share your thoughts and perspectives. That's what the microphones are on the tables for. This is a conversation, and I am just doing my best to guide us throughout this hour, but um, we all have something to contribute, and we all have experiences on these things that we're about to talk about. So I feel like when it comes to social media, a lot of these news stories um, are just another method of like clickbait. 
Thank and that, that's, a, that's a term, I'm glad you brought that up, Kim. Clickbait is something that you may have heard that term before. And when you realize that the business of media is a money-making business, in the internet world, you make more money based upon how many people see the ads that you've sold on your website. So the more you click on the website, the more ads that are being seen by visible eyes, and there's a whole marketing team in the background that's designed to make sure that they're marketing these advertisements to as many eyes as possible. And when Kim refers to clickbait, has anyone ever come across those news stories where they make the headline very, very attentive and it catches your eye? And you click on it, but you didn't get the information. You only got like one piece. And then you got to click the next button in order to see the next piece, and the next button, and the next button. And before you know it, you've gone through 20 pages, and you still felt like you never really got the answer. That is what clickbait is. That is, by definition, clickbait. Because it ups the numbers that they're marketing to the people they advertise advertisements to to sell at a higher billing rate for ads on Google, ads through other websites, and it's a bit deceptive to the people that are spending money to advertise, and a bit deceptive towards the people that are seeking the information who are not finding it in the story. And clickbait is everywhere, but often on social media. And oftentimes, it's the thing that you know you see that somebody shares, and somebody else shares it because they're all trying to find out if this is true or not. It reminds me of chain mail, you know, in the days when we actually did chain mail and then chain email, which came out. It looks very similar, but it's designed for the purpose of billing the advertisers to make more money on the information, but not for you to receive information. So knowing where we get our news from, knowing what a reputable source is for the news, is a very important thing for all of us to be mindful of when we're seeking out information. You know, in a, in a local sphere here in Kansas City, we all know what the Kansas City Star is. It's a local newspaper. They have online outlets that share information, journalistic integrity. They have opinions that some people agree with and opinions other people disagree with, but it's still in the op-ed section of the newspaper. It's not on the front page. And on a national front, we know what national journalism looks like that has a reputable foundation, organizations that have been around for a long time that put out different versions of information, whether it's through print but or an online version or it's through television. We know that when we can go to a news website, my favorite is CBS News. I love Sunday morning and I love 60 Minutes. And I like it because they go deeper into the stories to tell you the reasons why behind the stories. But I also know that I can go to CBS.com and find the same news stories that they would report about on the evening news that would be a reputable source for news. They have a journalistic integrity that they have to uphold and an amount of trust as the unofficial fourth state in our country to share this information and make sure that we're informed from multiple perspectives on an issue that may be going on during our days. And we all remember when cable television became a hot topic in the 90s with the car chase in 1995 in Los Angeles of the white Ford Bronco. And suddenly the idea of watching sensationalism took over the idea of the 24-hour cable news network. And if you watch 24-hour cable news, you'll find oftentimes they mix opinion with journalistic reports and it's hard to d differentiate, is this an opinion 
or is this a report? These are things to think about when you're seeking information. And if you're seeking information online, it's good to probably look for reputable outlets for information. Laura? And then there was the advent of the infomercial. The infomercial, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I forgot about the infomercial. Thank you for bringing that up. Paid, paid advertisement that looks like news, but it's not news. It's, it's a one-sided story, and it's designed to pull you in as if it's a newscast. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say another thing to be aware of is there are starting to be stories that are generated by AI, so artificial intelligence, and so yes. being aware of going out and fact-checking um, those types of things and ensuring that they are, again, coming from reputable sources, yeah. that there's a person who's vetting that information, um, because there have been some situations where um, a, a fake story got generated by information that they called from the Internet. So. And Rebecca, I appreciate you bringing up AI. Last week, that was a hot topic because we don't quite know what AI is yet. But what, a, a micro conversation we were having over here before the, the class started was the fact that AI has been a part of our culture for longer than we've actually known about it. Uh -huh. You know, anytime you text message someone and it gives you suggested words at the top that it thinks you're trying to type, that's artificial intelligence. We've been using text messaging since the 1990s. Artificial intelligence, it has been around in one form or another, but it is getting smarter, it is getting more sophisticated. And I saw a video recently, just the other day, where somebody took a speech that Donald Trump gave as a candidate, and the exact same words were put in Joe Biden's voice with his image, and it sounded like everything he was saying was exactly the same thing Donald Trump said. And it was side by side. You can see here's Donald Trump giving the speech and Joe Biden giving the exact same speech with the exact same language because there is this ability to manipulate video and audio. And we're just now entering that world. We don't know what it's going to look like to be ethical in this space and how people will use it unethically. And I imagine we'll, we'll have a revisitation on what that is as we learn more about AI in the years to come. Donna. What about PBS? You know, I've always been a big fan of, of public uh, broadcasting. I have too. Uh, public broadcasting um, offers a wonderful perspective and a deeper perspective. You know, the McNeil Lair News Hour oh, yeah. used to be so well known for their deep journalistic reports. And they would go into the reasons why behind a difficult issue was being explored and present both sides. And they had the nerve to die. And they still do that. Yes, they do. You know, well, and, and, and one of the interesting things that um, we've, we've recently uh, realized with, with public broadcasting is that they are still beholden to a rule that used to be a law in the United States until 1996. And that rule is what they call um, uh, the Fairness Act. Yes, thank you, Russ. The Fairness Act you have to present equal time for different sides of political issues. But in 1996, our Congress passed an act called the 1996 Telecommunications Act. And when they passed this bill, media and journalism in a digital sphere changed. The Fairness Act was no longer in place for local broadcasting and for local television and radio. And that's when we started to hear a lot of strongly opinionated political voices hosting shows for multiple hours a day in radio and on other forms of media because they didn't have to present another side to the issue. They could just present their own side. Yes, Don? Uh, yeah. Uh, 
back when there was radio and television and there were just a few uh, uh, authority figures, mm -hmm. that's when it was uh, the Fairness Act was passed because CBS, Walter Cronkite, yeah. had to do both. He had to be fair. Yeah. But with the cable news and everything else opening up, we didn't have those single authority figures. They were just all over the place. And so they figured, well, we don't need that now because we have all kinds of options. Yes. The, the argument was that it was slowing down the reception of information and slowing down the ability to share more information. You know, with every intended consequence, whether good or bad, there are unintended consequences that come along with that. Like AI, like you mentioned, Rebecca, we're still learning exactly what AI can do. So how to navigate with morality and with ethics in uh, artificial intelligence is something that we as humanity will have to learn how to do as we learn what the technology is capable of. We're just now starting to realize in our public consciousness that this exists and exists very sophisticatedly at this point. So. It's kind of a traditional fact versus opinion, and a lot of opinions get represented as facts. Yeah. But I was—I became aware of Google Scholar. Oh. It's a website where you can research peer-reviewed articles. So there's probably still going to be bias and, and yeah. opinion, but at least there's, there's some measure of validation for those articles. Yes, and that's actually a good tool to have because scholarly opinions and opinions are not a bad thing. We all have opinions and we're all worthy of sharing our opinions and people are worthy of sharing their opinions in response to our opinions and how we present our opinions is where we get into the, the, the tricky bag of is this factual or is this my perspective and having more resources on how to source information is the only way we can guide ourselves through whether or not this opinion is based upon fact or is it based upon a very narrow group of facts without looking at the entire perspective and that's what you see in the scholarly world that constant debate over how well sourced things are the the problem is is that scholarly work is very specific mm -hmm. and it's very narrow it has to be in order to try to not you know I mean they just are trying to tell you what is as far as they can tell from whatever their hypothesis was that they yeah it's hard it's hard to tackle the entire issue without putting blinders on and focusing on this right. one it's issue it's not yeah. opinion it's about you know did the <laughs> yeah you know did the hurricane do this or did the yeah. you know the the fruit flies die from that or whatever i mean it's yeah. a very specific and narrow kind of focus and the problem is is that most things that we have opinions about, we don't have academic stuff that can really tell Correct. us anything. Correct. And, and really, the point of this conversation is to be more aware of our ability to discern. And we hear this word discernment in the Episcopal Church a lot when we're thinking about how people are hearing the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is calling them in one direction or another. But discernment happens all throughout our lives in all different ways. And discerning what we hear, discerning what we're ingesting as information, and how it affects us in life is something that it's always good for us to be mindful of. So discerning the legitimacy of what we're reading online is a very valuable tool as we navigate kind of the wild west of information. And there's really a lack of regulation on what people can share. Yes? 
Father John. Um, I, I have a friend who insists that uh, he, he pays attention to two or three different media outlets in order to get the full range of information. Um, the interesting thing is that he was telling me a story one time about something that, that he had seen, and he'd seen it on the deal, and uh, he was certain it was true. And I was saying, you know, they can create a video that looks completely real and accurate and put words in people's mouths that they never said, yeah. like what you were just talking about yeah. with uh, Biden and Trump. Um, his response was to say to me, you mean I can't believe my lion eyes? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great point. Yes, yes. You know, it's, it's, it's always harder as information and technology gets more sophisticated, but it's our responsibility as people of faith carrying our message into this world to share love and goodness in a place where a lot of fear and animosity can be shared that we recognize that we're going to run into people that have a lot of fear and have been filled with a lot of fear and have been filled with sensationalism and it can affect us too. I mean, who here hasn't been affected emotionally by a political election and been emotionally attached to one candidate versus another because we like the direction they came from or their family history or some things they did once in a previously elected office? Those things are all very real. We are all constantly discerning our present state in life and our present state in, in, in what's best for the world. And I'm actually encouraging you to share your opinions, be more open, and be more understanding that this is a challenge to people that are used to sensationalism. But one of the most important things we can do is not give up on technology and go the other direction from it because bad information is shared there, but to actually go and engage from a place of love with people in those spaces because it's so important for the future of us as people in this country to understand that fear sells. Fear sells very well in whether it used to be in the National Enquirer or now it's on fe the Facebook news feed. It's, it's very important for us to challenge that with love and with grace and understanding. Yeah, fear sells and, and fear seems to be at the root of practically all the horrible things that people do. Yeah. And it's the root of all evil. The root of fear. all evil. So, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about challenging, as faithful people, evil and darkness in the world. And it comes through our televisions and it comes through our computers and our smartphones, but it came through our newspapers at one time. It came through people's voices on the streets, street corners. It's always out there. And not to be fearful to go into those places and engage from a place that God is calling us to go. So I just wanted to recap fake news and the idea of discerning what it is that we're reading and hearing online, because that is such a, a, a critical thing. Because a lot of the times, the things that will hurt your computer, hurt your smartphone, the viruses that you can accidentally download, the passwords you can accidentally give away are attached to these sensationalistic looking stories and these sensationalistic pieces of clickbait because they're not designed to f inform you. They're designed to make you think you're being informed and they're actually accessing your personal information. Understanding there's a nefarious act with some of these things that are out there online 
is, is, is a critical thing. And for us to have a discerning eye at what we're looking at is the first step in protecting ourselves and helping to challenge that darkness that's trying to overtake us. So as we go forward into the evening, we're gonna talk more about what it means to stay safe online. We began that conversation last week and we really didn't even begin to touch upon some of the most important things, which are your passwords and how that stuff can be, can be challenged and how people can get a hold of that stuff very easily and how important it is to create safe and hard to, hard to tackle passwords. So strategies for staying safe online. First rule is don't give out personal information. Some of us in the room last week talked about how we don't do any personal information, especially around banking online. Some of us are more comfortable with that. It's all a matter of our own personal comfort level, our own personal research on that, that there are ways that it can be done, and in my opinion, can be done safely and have been done safely for some time, but there's always risk. And, there's, and there, there is risk even in paper and pen, because we talked about check writing and how on the bottom of your check there's a routing number and an account number that all it takes is somebody you hand that check to to gain that information and they can access your account very easily. This is, this is risk every time we go and we, we do business in commerce out in the world. You know, phone calls are a very important one. We were talking earlier over here about all the spam phone calls that we get every day. I mean, I think most of us in this room probably get at least one a day. Yeah. Say, uh, yeah. to write a check, you only need to have certain inf identifying information. Yes. It doesn't matter what kind of form it is. In fact, there's, uh, there's an urban myth about a man who was upset with having to pay his income taxes, and so the check that he wrote to the IRS was on a toilet stool lid. <laughs> a toilet stool lid. He, he wrote, wrote all, all the, the necessary information. The he mailed the toilet stool lid to the Internal Revenue Service, and they had to cash it. Because he put the pertinent information there for them to access his account. Yes. And your credit card has the same kind of information on it. You know, it's not just the number on the front of your card now. It's that little three-digit number on the back of your card, too. And those things are easy to access. And Laura brought up a good point about RFID blockers. And there are wall wallets that are now sold that have little pieces of tinfoil in them that keep that RFID signal that each card has because each one of our credit cards now has a little chip on it and that little chip is transmitting an electric signal at all times in a small radius to wherever this card is. That's why we're able to pay at the pump for gas. That's why when we go to the grocery store we're able to just tap our card because that information is electronically communicated through radio waves. The same radio waves we've been using for well over a hundred years and having a wallet that protects our information by blocking signals keeps people who are trying to scan for those signals from capturing that information. There are little things that we just have to consider that we are now sharing, whether we realize it or not, and drawing attention to it is, is critical. You know, you know? <laughs> just make sure you wrap it around wherever your wallet or purse is too, so. <laughs> And, and, I, and I'm not saying this because I'm trying to instill fear, it's, it, but this is reality. And, and the reality is, is that in order for us to do business in a cashless society, and it's not that 
I don't support cash. I think cash is ultimately the best way and safest way to pay for something that we purchase, but it's not the most realistic way anymore. It's so much more cumbersome to go to the bank to receive that expenditure for the week and then dole out your cash to every retailer you go to. And frankly, my time is money and I don't want to waste my time with that, so I use my watch to pay for things because it's attached to my credit card, which is attached to my bank. And it's easier. I mean, there are, there are pluses and minuses to all of it. But the reality we live in is if you have a credit card, you have a chip on it now. And that chip is transmitting a signal at all times. You know, and we talked about phone calls and spam phone calls, people that are trying to emotionally attach to you to cause some sort of initial and inciting response. There's a parishioner that's not here tonight, but one that I've been very close with during a period of healing whose mother actually received a phone call from somebody trying to scam her by saying, your, si your son is in jail and we need bail money for your son right now. And he wasn't, he was in the hospital and he was recovering in the hospital from an injury. But to make that assumption and to put that fear into somebody that is much older in age, she was ready to not just cut a check, but go to, go to the Western Union and wire money to somebody on the spot to save her son. That's the kind of things that happen in scamming, and especially if it can be emotionally attached to people in your family. Kim? Um, so especially if anybody's ever asking for gift cards. That's a good point. So weird and random. Can you elaborate a little more on that? Well, no, it's just these thing, these people will reach out and um, I have never gotten one, but I know it was a big thing on the news for a while where um, they had something or they, I don't know, just, can somebody else speak to that here? Yeah, I can. Yeah. I have several. Have you? Yeah, and it's usually through Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. It's usually through Facebook. Is it? And, and uh, because they have hacked, not hacked, but somehow they gotten into the other person's account. Yeah. And so I, I get a text saying, hi, Rita. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's from my friend, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And... I go, hi, Jeff, you know, uh, it, uh, it's a messenger, through messenger. Yeah. And then Jeff comes back with, how you doing? And I go, well, you know, it's weird. And so for a while, it didn't realize. And, and then Jeff says, uh, I ran out of some cash and I need to get some gift cards for my mother because her birthday was, what? Okay. can you send me some uh, Amazon gift cards? Wow. And okay. then, you know, the flag is up. I've yeah. been communicating not with Jeff. Yeah. And one time when this when this started, I called a friend cuz and also my the, the, my friend uh who was supposed cuz I've gotten more than one. My friend who was supposed to be, you know, the the communication was really kind of disjointed and and I even said I didn't know Andrew had a learning disability, you know, but but it yeah. was it was someone else, yeah. you know, perhaps from a different country. I don't know, but it took me a while to realize. But I, I've never sent a gift card, but I have communicated with them for a while, you know, yeah. for a while. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and I go, wait, this isn't Andrew, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. We and we talked last week about passing the sniff test. The idea that if something doesn't feel right, when do you start to realize this doesn't feel right? 
and when is a best to cease communication, block that, and verify with your bank, your credit card, the person that's trying to contact you by reaching back out to them to find out if that really was them. Because these things really do happen. Cindy. I had the same thing happen, only it was my grandson calling from Mexico, and they had gotten his voice. It was the AI thing somebody wow. told me. And it really was his voice. That's scary. And he was in jail, and I know Mexican jails. You don't want to get in one. No. And, uh, but it was his voice. And I didn't, by the grace of God, I didn't send money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to say, Cindy, can I ask you, what, what did you do in response after that? Did you reach out to somebody else to find out what's going on? You just knew to leave it alone. Yes. Well. Oh, oh, oh! I quickly found out. Yeah. Okay. He was in Mexico at that time. Yeah. Yeah, he was in Mexico at that time. But somebody was trying to use that information to scam you. Yeah. Wow. I just love it when they call me, and say, "This is your grandson," and I say. No, it isn't. I don't have one. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> you know, people will say and do anything to get a few quick bucks out of, out of other people. And we have to recognize that is a danger. And it's always been with us. You know, this isn't something new. It's just we have new ways that people can reach us. Phone calls, text messages, emails. I've gotten those emails before. Emails of people claiming to have access to my personal data, but all the data's wrong. But they, uh, just enough information that is right that they can gather on me by knowing what my middle name is, knowing my mother's maiden name, but the rest of it's wrong and recognizing this isn't real, I'm blocking this email. And recognizing that people are just reaching. And a lot of the times, these are bots. These are not real people these are computer programs designed to look and sound like real people that are set up by one nefarious person who's reaching out to thousands of people all the time doing this. That's why we're getting so many emails and so many phone calls and text messages. It's just, it's, it's inundating and it can be frustrating and it makes us want to say no more, no more phone calls, no more internet, which is not a reality in, in our day and age. So what's going on <clears throat> when I probably get 30 calls a day that when I answer, there's nobody there. Yeah, I get those too. And I can't tell you because I don't know what the purpose is. I, d I can say that chances are they're looking to see who's answering their phone. Because then they're sending that information to the next level of bots that are now going to start scamming you because you answered your phone and you're a real live human being. Well, it also depends on how long do you wait for somebody to respond because if, it's, if they're on a, at a call center, they'll, they'll shoot out five different phone numbers at the same time, and when someone answers, then they'll go to that one. So, you know, if you, mm -hmm. if you wait a few seconds instead of just saying hello and not getting a response and hanging up right away, if you wait a few seconds, they usually do come on, but there's, there's nobody you want to talk to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I actually don't really have that problem because my iPhone says spam risk. 
almost every time. So I, I advance to a slide here to talk about exactly that, because this is the topic. There are programs that are set up through our cellular phone companies, and then there's also additional programs out there that are very reputable in blocking these kinds of calls. I use RoboKiller, which is this little logo here. RoboKiller has been widely known. Uh, NBC's Today Show has reported about RoboKiller's success. And when I get a phone call from somebody and it's possibly a scam, it will say scam likely. And I've even got it set up to where it won't ring my phone. And it just goes straight to voicemail because me answering the phone is opening the door for more risk. Verizon has what they call call filter. AT&T has their version of it, the, um, the secure family companion, and T-Mobile has the scam shield. And we're all using cellular phone services that are probably on one of those three major networks. They're the only three major networks. But these programs do a good job of helping identify known scammers, known robocallers, and known text message scams and blocks them for us. And we can set it up in a way that we can screen those later but I highly recommend for everyone to have some sort of some sort of program on your smartphone to help sift through these calls because it's just unstoppable any other way. But you got to realize that that's not going to be 100%. You're still vulnerable. Correct. And, yeah. Correct. It's not 100%. It's going to definitely stem the flow, but it's not going to stop the flow. Some because they're always working around the program. Kim, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Some of my favorite like TikTok videos or Facebook reels are people that when they get these calls, will pick it up and they'll say, thank you for calling the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This call may be recorded for training purposes. How may I help you? Yes. Actually, uh, RoboKiller has that option. And I may have that set up on my phone. <laughs> that when they call, it says exactly that. And scams them in return by making them think they called the wrong number. Because it's frustrating. And I like to think that in some way I'm able to defend myself a little bit better with a laugh involved. But it's important to have some awareness that we can't filter this stuff out alone. I have yeah. two friends that they get one of these calls mm -hmm. and they lead the guy on and on. Oh, what a wonderful idea. Oh, they carry on 15 minutes. Yeah. And then he finally says, I'm glad I've taken up your time. Yeah, really, slowed, slowed them down for whatever they're trying to do. Don, you had a comment? Yeah, there's another, uh, another way to do it besides having one of these uh, 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 filters. Mm -hmm. uh, just let everything go to uh, record. That's the simplest way. Yes, yeah, I do. I never answer the phone. I yeah. figure, stop and think about it. When the phone rings, we're 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 conditioned to stop whatever we're doing and reach the phone and talk. The phone has real control over us, and yeah. so if you let go of that that control, the phone goes to record, and uh, nine times out of ten they don't record. Yeah. And if it's an important person trying to reach you, they're going to leave you a message, and you'll know to call them back as soon as possible. Well, I, I, I moved from northern Michigan, yeah. which is a 906 uh, area code. So anytime I get a 906, I know it's not somebody from 906. I just, it's yeah. scam, you know. Yeah. And there's lots of it, you know, because it's, I'm not on the local yeah. Uh, you know, 
So everybody move and take <laughs> your phone with you and, and, and you'll have a different area code. <laughs> you know, if you ask uh, younger generations, a lot of the younger generations don't even have their ringers on. Right. They text message. We were talking about some mutual friends we have, Kathy, that text message exclusively. And yes, it is harder to get a hold of them by phone, but that's because with the amount of annoyance of a ringer controlling your life, you start to filter. Some of us don't have the privilege of turning our phone off in that way, but there are ways to slow it down. Those programs do help us with some of that because it can be quite frustrating. My ringer's been off since 2004. I believe that. <laughs> so I can never get a hold of my wife. <laughs> so it's just understanding some of the things that we run into. You know, when we receive scam phone calls, it's best to hang up with whatever is suspicious. Contact your bank, credit card agency, your brokerage house, wherever you, you are being contacted from that involves money, and go to a published number. Go to their website, go to a, the latest billing statement, and on the back of every credit card, they have an 800 number that will give you exactly the customer service contact line to reach out to. Those things are important because we want to notify the agencies, even if somebody's pretending to be them, because they have excellent fraud detection that can open a case and make sure that your information is not being nefariously used. I have landline only right yeah. now, yeah. and it comes right on, scam call. Yeah. I, I didn't ask for it. I'm just glad it's there. Your phone provider is now providing that. Uh -huh. Many phone providers now provide it because it's such uh -huh. a pervasive issue. Uh -huh. It's everywhere. You know, reporting your suspicion when you run into something like this is critical. It's really important because it may not just be you. It might be thousands of other people that are having the same issue and American Express or whatever agency you're using, U.S. Bank, they may see a pattern and a trend here that needs to be addressed. And we all have a responsibility to try and stop bad acts from happening. So another way to protect yourself is using antivirus software. Antivirus software is available for both your phones and your computers. And this software can do a good job of filtering things that are known bad entities trying to download viruses onto your computer. And the number one way that we receive viruses in our computer is through emails. So when you click on links and emails, be very careful what you're clicking on. Be very aware of what this entity is that has been sent to you. Just by clicking on it, you can now download software that gives out your personal information. Antivirus software, some of the best ones that are out there have been around for a generation now, 30 plus years, doing the work. Norton is the one that I prefer to use. They do a great job. They can detect when something is nefarious in an email and highly recommend you not click on it. They can't stop you from clicking on it, but they can highly recommend. Apple, soft, Apple Computers has built-in software that when you, when you get a piece of information that comes in, it'll say, this is a compromised website do you really want to continue to this compromised website? And ob the obvious answer is no, I don't. I don't want to accidentally download something. Because a lot of the times, websites and businesses get hacked just as badly as we do personally. My wife and I ordered a pizza from a local pizza joint re recently, actually about a year ago, and their software had compromised all the credit cards from people that had ordered online. 
and we had to go through the process of having all of our personal information redistributed with new credit card numbers and shut down everything because the place we ordered our, uh, from, our food from had been compromised. These things happen, and they're not just happening to individuals. They happen everywhere. And this is when I learned that you should never buy anything online in a website where in the address bar it doesn't have the little lock picture. Yes. And you we talked about that last week. It's the HTTPS. Well, not even that, but it'll yes. even just have a picture of a lock. Of a lock, yeah. Yeah. Which is a, new, a newer way of d detailing that information. You can also do um, digital credit cards where you can put in a, a, like a certain amount of money on there and use those credit cards to pay for things online so that if yes. it does get hacked. That's a great way to do it. Um, they are accessing the rest of your, your, yeah. your main accounts. Yes, and that is another good way to do it. And talking about passwords, we'll talk about some of those things coming up next. But I appreciate that, Rebecca, because, yeah, you can use essentially cash cards that are backed by Visa and MasterCard that you can pick up at a grocery store and put load, preloaded money onto it and use that online. It's a safe way to protect your banking accounts. Recognizing our password habits are very easy for people to hack if we're using very simple passwords. Unfortunately, the most common password in America is the word password. Most people use the word password. The second most common is password one, two, three. It is so common and so many people use that that if you're just, if you're, if you're a non-law abiding citizen looking to scam somebody, you're just taking a chance on every, ability, every chance you can to use that password and eventually you're gonna find the unlocked car door. I mean, it's almost the same thing. So it's important to avoid sharing and managing our passwords and storing them insecurely. And creating strong passwords is really important. We're in a day and age when passwords have to be really long and complicated. And how do we as individuals try to remember these passwords? There's some good ways to do this. And it takes an actual practice at this, but it's recognizing that it's our information that we have to protect. Well, and then also going back to, I think, what we talked about last week, um, when you see those polls come through on Facebook, like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to get to know all your Facebook friends, answer these questions and share, you know, what street did you grow up on? What was your first car? Yeah. Do, do these questions sound familiar? They're all password security questions, so when you lose or forget your password, these are the questions that you would have used to reset your password. Yeah. What was the first car you ever drove? Yeah. Yeah. Those things that people ask, and sometimes the polls on social media sites about you know sharing things from your past can be giving away your information that allows people to access your stuff. So when creating passwords, we want to think creatively about passwords. The best thing you can do in today's day and age is create phrases. No longer thinking of words, but thinking of phrases. The best example I have is, I like to walk the dog, and then you create a password that's really complicated by replacing numbers with letters some capital, some lowercase. This password would be really hard to hack. It would be darn near impossible. It would take most people trying to hack your information too much effort and time. They're gonna move on for the next person that really is using password one, two, three. So recognizing creative ways to do this and creative ways to share that information or to protect your information. Go ahead, Don. Uh, yeah, I use a, a, a mnemonic, uh, a phrase that you know Take the first letter from each word in that phrase mm -hmm. and then add the year, a date, and an exclamation point or some kind of alpha. That's a great way. <clears throat> yeah. And so I actually use the, the Jesus prayer, which is 
No, you don't tell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are in a room of trusting people, but let me say anybody this. Who knows, Wait a second. I'm waiting for the baby to Anybody who knows load. the Jesus prayer is not going to mess with me. I don't, I hope. Well, and, and let me, you know, and, and I understand exactly where you're coming from, Don. Well, exactly. I mean, we all need to create a special way that we create passwords. And then we need to create a special way that we store those passwords so we don't forget them. And that is one way that works. The other important thing is don't reuse your passwords. And I'm guilty of that. I, ha I tend to use the same two or three passwords for everything in my life. And the problem is, is if somebody actually does gain access, well, now they may have gained access to an entire third of your life, not just the one thing they thought they got a hold of. So it's really important to create passwords that are unique and different. In today's technology, computers like this one that I'm using here, and computers that most of us have bought in the past 10 years, there is a lot of password management built into the computers. And that password management really helps us remember our passwords and helps us automate those passwords. It is actually fairly secure because part of it is, is like on this computer here, it requires my thumbprint for me to access my passwords. And you can't recreate my thumbprint. Um, that is a nice thing to have, but not everybody has that. Um, recognizing that there's risk with everything and there's always people looking to scam that. I always recommend that it's important to store your passwords in good old fashioned pe pen on paper, somewhere hidden, but don't forget where you hid it. So. A bank, a bank deposit box is a good place. If you're, if you're setting up your estate, it's important to put your passwords with the establishment of your estate so when you pass, the people who have the executive power over your estate can be able to go in and close out your accounts and close out these things. These, these things have to be considered, but ultimately the safest way is to write your passwords down on a secure notepad and lock it away in the firebox in the closet. I mean, that is the safest way. It's also the most frustrating way when you need to pull your password out. So the technology companies have recognized it's just as important to create safe password uh, apps and programs for us to store our passwords, John. Well, and when you, I mean, I've got the paper system. I use 1Password. I use the Google system. Yeah. I have passwords I like to use, and I can't remember where things are. Yes. And, and so it's just... And there's so many of them. There's so many of them. Just to try and keep track of, yeah. I need to hire a personal assistant to take care of my passwords. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. It's, it, it can be frustrating, and unfortunately, there's not a better answer because hackers are so sophisticated at this point. They're counting on us not taking the extra time and effort to protect our equipment and our information so they know there's always a chance to get in and we're always running the risk every day that we're alive and we're using technology we're rolling dice that eventually you're going to come up on snake eyes and it's our turn to be hacked it happens and it's it's a difficult thing for us to stay ahead of the curve on but also recognizing where our weaknesses are is a very important thing to name yes Tom. yeah it's important to be realistic though <clears throat> yes. if i am going to order something online uh at macy's or some store yeah I have, and I have an account. I have a, an account at that website. Yes. I'll use a very simple password, an eight-digit, really simple, and that's yeah. the one I always use. Yes. 
they're not going to ask me for any information. If I, if they if I charge something on credit card, I use PayPal. They can't touch PayPal. That's right. So you mentioned something really good right there. PayPal, Venmo, there's two or three other programs that are out there. They're third-party banking online systems and apps that offer another layer of protection for your use of commerce online because they have their own encryption with each transaction. And those encryptions are so complicated to break, but also they can't get access to your personal information. They're only getting access to that one account and that one capability. And you're right, it's so impossible to try and protect ourselves and be 100% secure. It, it's, it's, really, it's really just a risk that we run. So uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm a CPA and I do people's tax returns mm -hmm. and I have a password to get into my tax preparation software. The IRS requires that that password be very, very strong and long yes. for obvious reasons. People like to get into stuff like that, but to hack my Macy's account, probably nobody is interested. So yeah. don't get too upset about something like that. Well, and, and you mentioned something good there because you mentioned working with the IRS and I'm moving to a slide here. People may not know what this device is. My wife does because she's worked with the IRS too. And you can't just have a password, you have to have a two-factor key that you can plug into the computer, which now allows you access to log into the website. This is the most secure way to store your passwords. And this can be purchased at any Best Buy or Walmart or Target, and it will cost you less than $10. Well, you, you can also uh, do an online uh, authenticator. Yes, you can. Two-factor two authenticator. Two-factor authenticator. And uh, yep. uh, I have it for a lot of, lot of places. It's, I do uh, too. It's very easy to do. Uh, you'll use your password to get in, and they'll say, okay, we're going to send you a, uh, give us the code. Yes. And they change that authenticator code like every 20 seconds. Yes. As a matter of fact, all of my Google devices that I use have that built into it. If anybody tries to log in, I get a text message from Google and gives me a six-digit code that I have to enter into whatever device I'm trying to get into, or, or it locks it out. And I mean locks it out, and you've got to start from scratch. But it's better than, because I have Google cameras around my house just for security protections with our security system. You don't want somebody to have access to the cameras in your house. So shut it down if you have, if you have the ability to try and get in. Two-factor is one of the safest ways. And security keys, two factors, these are important things for us to recognize. They're tools that are out there that are fairly affordable and easy to use. So I know we're, we're running close towards the end of time here, and this conversation absolutely could continue on, and I want it to continue on. We'll have more classes on this in the future. But I'm, I want to move into one final thing, and that's basic troubleshooting with technology. And I wish we had had more time for this but we absolutely will create more opportunities for basic troubleshooting. The number one thing I can recommend for people when you're having a hard time with your computer or your smartphone, restart your device. And I can't say that enough. A lot of the times, the struggles that you're having with your device giving you a finicky time, it needs to reboot. And how often do we actually turn our computers and our phones off? A lot of the times we put them to sleep, a lot of the times the screens are off, but the actual unit itself is not off. And that can create all sorts of bugs in the system. So it's important to remember, save your work and turn your computer off, count to 30,
turn it back on. It'll fix a lot of your issues. Another thing that's important to remember is to back up your work. I personally use both. I use flash drives and I use external hard drives. External hard drives now in today's day and age are the kinds that aren't built with equipment that can actually break, like old hard drives was an actual disk in there that turned and then eventually it would seize up. Solid state hard drives are less than $100 and you can put your family pictures, you can put important information. I've got a large Apple Music library that I've got all that music I've paid for over the years stored on that thing because I don't want to lose it. It's a lot of money. These are fairly inexpensive devices that can help protect the things that are valuable to you in a digital space. So this is the end of the presentation. Does anybody have any questions? Yeah. No, I don't have any. So another tip for the basic troubleshooting, yeah. I would say always check software updates. If there's any updates to the app or updates to your hardware, like Thank you, iPhone Jen. or something like that. Because yes. sometimes that can make things really buggy. Jen, thank you for that, because not only can it make things buggy, but also a lot of those updates involve important security protections. Update your devices. When you get the notification that it's time to update your operating system on your phone, do it. Take the time. It can make a real difference on how people can access information. So is that it? Anybody else? Thoughts? Perceptions? One thing on the, on the devices you were talking about. Uh, with technology, every five years something's changed, and yeah. what you thought was a good interface, all of a sudden now your computers don't have it. You are right. So you need to keep changing, your, upgrading your, your yes. backup devices as well. You are correct about that. Unfortunately, with technology, it doesn't last 20 to 30 years. Like you said, five years max. It, you really need to have a new, a new phone, a new computer about every five years. If it's older than that, you're really starting to run behind on the technology and the sophistication that's out there. You know, and these are just best practices. There's no solid answer, and there's no 100% secure way. Even if you've updated your, I've got a seven-year-old uh, desktop, yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I've updated it with each uh, new, new operating system, but that really wasn't what it was created for correct you know correct. and so at some point it's it's gotten to the point where it just doesn't work as well as yeah. it would have you know there's 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 no perfect solution but there are best practices right. and sometimes best practices don't fit well with our day-to-day -day life and we have to manage through what works best for us and this goes back to that concept of discerning our information discerning our tools discerning our use but this class for the last three weeks was designed to empower people to feel that it is important to be engaging people in the digital space, especially about our faith. Because unfortunately there are too many things that are engaging people away from faith, away from love and goodness that God wants us to know. And we need to be in those spaces challenging that with our goodness and with our love and with that welcoming personality that St. Andrews is so well known for. We need to be out there doing the work because if we're not doing it, who will? That's, that's the last thing I have to say to you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. So. <laughs> also, just one note. Next week, we are taking a break. 
So it's the week of Memorial Day, so we figure a lot of people are probably going to be traveling that week, so we'll we'll press pause, but we will come back on June 8th, and we will start a new series on creation care. So hope you can join us for that. Creation care. Yeah. Creation. Thank creation you for that care. reminder, Jen. That is absolutely needed. All right.